From the American Academy of Dermatology, welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Ben Stoff, Editor-in-Chief. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I am Molly McCormack, a dermatologist practicing in Southern New Hampshire and current chair of the Patient Access and Payer Relations Committee of the American Academy of Dermatology. Today, we will be discussing an important and often frustrating topic, payer denials. If it feels to you like this is becoming an ever-increasing problem, rest assured that your observations are correct. According to data from the American Medical Association, denials increased to 11% of all claims, and this is up nearly 8% over 2021. The good news is that it is estimated that more than 60% of all claims denied are eventually paid on appeal. However, the process can be time consuming and burdensome. It is my hope that this conversation will leave you with some tips and tools to decrease denials as well as increase your chance of a successful appeal. I am joined today by two incredible guests, Dr. Howard Rogers and Dr. Sandra Johnson. Would the two of you be so kind as to share a brief introduction with our audience? Sure. Thank you, Molly. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for asking. Uh, I am a, a dermatologist. This is Howard Rogers. I'm a dermatologist in private practice in Connecticut. Uh, I am the previous chair of the Patient Access and Peer Relations Committee. I'm the current chair of the Workgroup for Innovation and Payment Delivery, and was recently elected to the Board of Directors for the American Academy of Dermatology. And my name is Sandy Johnson. I'm honored to be here today. I am a board-certified dermatologist who practices in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I started a practice with my husband, who's a Mohs surgeon in 2006, and we have grown to have 11 providers. I help to manage our clinic, and so I'm very intimately involved with appeals and denials, and I'm honored to serve on the paper committee also. Thank you both so much. Can I be so bold as to ask if your personal practices have been impacted by payer changes regarding denied claims? 100% they have. And I bet everybody listening to this is in the same boat. Um, we have hired two new billing people in the past year to deal with the increased amount of appeals and denials and prior authorizations. And that is all they are doing. We've added one more person to help us with coding and helps to try to decrease the number of appeals. And maybe it's paying off. I don't know. It's very, very difficult. Um, you know, we are willing to jump through any hoops for our patients and to get paid for the services we provide. However, I feel like there's more hoops to jump through and they keep moving. And we are doing our best to dance and jump through those hoops. And hopefully as talking today, we'll give some of our friends and colleagues some pointers for jumping through those hoops, as well as help empower us a little bit more. One of the comments is, is that this problem is leading to increasing physician burnout and people leaving the healthcare profession. And that's really sad. And I think one of the ways to prevent burnout is to make us feel empowered and give us some tools and tricks to help us deal with these issues. So hopefully this Dialogues in Dermatology today will help empower some of our teammates and colleagues and lead to less burnout. Excellent, Sandy. I 100% agree with you. My practice has had a lot of the similar issues with definitely increased burden across administrative tasks, including prior authorizations and a lot of code denials. In my practice, I run a kind of coding seminar on a monthly basis to make sure that we are all up to date on the latest. 
but the a number of denials and appeals that we've had to deal with over the course of the last few years has been increasing steadily. And it just feels like insurers are trying to figure out ways to deny things. Some of them are really creative and this I isn't dotted, this T isn't crossed. It's amazing how the minutia of fine coding documentation medical necessity are just required to get your code paid these days. It definitely is a ever increasing hurdle that we have to cross. So you have both shared concrete examples of how profound the impact of this problem is. One of the questions that I'm frequently asked is whether or not when a claim is denied, is it worth it to appeal? 100% you need to appeal it. A lot of insurance companies now are just strictly denying any claim with a modifier or any claim with something in it. I mean, as Howard said, the rules keep changing. And so it's definitely important to appeal. I would say maybe two thirds to three fourths of our initially denied claims get paid after the first appeal. And so it's very important to appeal those if you want to make enough money to keep your doors open. You know, one of the questions that I get asked by a lot of dermatologists is, how do I know there's been a denial? They feel like they don't have control over the situation a lot of times. And what I explain is that insurance payments come with an explanation of benefits or an EOB for short. And it lists every code you build for every patient. You're charged for that service. The insurers allowed charges and how the payments were apportioned, how much went to you, how much was patient responsibility and any write-off that needs to be done. If the insurer denies a charge, there's going to be a denial code to explain kind of in broad terms why I was denied. And when I started practice, um, EOBs came on paper and were really easy to review at that point. I mean, uh, you know, it would come in stacks of paper and I loved it. I looked at every one. However, now the EOBs are all electronic. And so they require actively going to the insurer EOB site, putting in passwords and really actively looking for it. And if you use a billing service or a part of a health system, that does your billing, it's unlikely that you're going to be able to see those EOBs easily unless you actively make an effort to search them out. If you want to think about how you're going to monitor denials in your office, the other thing you're going to need to do is you're going to need to ensure that you're being reimbursed correctly for your services. And so you're going to need to ask for insurers fee schedules on a yearly basis. And you should request from every insurer that you have a their fee schedule for your 20 to 25 most common codes. Because if you don't know what you're supposed to be reimbursed, how are you going to know if the EOB is correct? And this information allows you to understand who your best and worst payers are and in the future, how you're going to negotiate for better payments. Once you have that information, I recommend that dermatologists review their EOBs frequently and tell your billing service that if you want to see all denied or downcoded charges, and we can talk a little bit more about that. That way you can oversee the appeal process. As Sandy was mentioning, you know, she oversees a lot of that. I do the same thing in my office. And you, you can ensure that there are coding errors or ways that insurers want charges entered. You can comply with that. In terms of a need to appeal, I, I think it's absolutely critical because the most efficient way to be paid for services is to be paid first time right away. That's called a clean claim. And most claims are processed properly and then we just move on, right? However, in cases in which codes or whole claims are denied, it's critical that dermatology practices appeal those. And, you know, derm practices are under greater and greater economic pressure. And so to knowingly give up a few percentage points of revenue as the price of doing business makes it harder to stay economically viable. So I personally oversee all the appeals 
And I don't know, maybe I'm lucky, but 99% of my claims are eventually paid. And again, denials have increased substantially. And so there's a lot of work to do to get that done. But another reason I think to appeal all the denials is for the good of the practice and for the specialty. Because if insurers incorrectly deny claims and no one appeals, then the insurer is going to codify that denial or expand denials in that area. And alternately, if there's a lot of pushback and appeals, that costs insurers a lot of money to do that. And they're more likely to stop that denial matter. So there are a couple of points I'd like to echo there. One is the importance of paying attention to the EOBs, and this goes beyond simply looking for a flat-out denial. One thing that we have seen are E&M leveling programs or claims downcoding, where the claim is not denied, but the payment is adjusted to a lower level. And if you're not really looking for that, it can kind of pass through the system unnoticed. And this is an appealable adjustment. So you do want to look out for this and pay attention to it. And then I agree that it is so essential to appeal these denied claims. If we do not push back, then we will just see continued expansion of these denial programs to an ever-increasingly problematic level. Can either of you speak to some of the more common reasons for denied claims? I guess before we go there, I would just like to jump in and say, not only should we be appealing these, but when we're seeing a pattern to notify the AAD, because if you're having this issue, it's most likely that some of our counterparts and peers are having the same issue. And the AAD has done a wonderful job of working on our behalf, as well as educating us. I hope everybody's getting the emails from the AAD regularly that talks about what issues other dermatologists are facing and, and how to handle them and what the AAD is doing for you. So I think we should be appealing them individually but I think it's nice when we can all work collectively as a group so that people know that this is a problem affecting all of dermatology. That's so true, Sandy. Mm, great. Okay. So some of the individual issues that we're having, I think everybody's aware of modifier 25. And that's when you perform a thinking service, such what we call an evaluation and management code, when you think about something and then you also do a procedure. And so I think that's one of the main reasons that a lot of insurance companies are just denying straight flat out if there's a 25 modifier and they're requesting your chart notes to make sure that you actually thought and deserve to be paid for you your evaluation and management code. And so it's really important to, if you can on the front end, make a really nice clean claim, put as much documentation in your chart note as possible because if it's not documented, it didn't get done and that means you won't get paid. And so you have to do really good documentation to justify that you get you should be paid for your thinking or your evaluation and management codes. That's probably the number one one that we're seeing at our clinic. Sandy, one of the things that we have been talking about with the paper committee on our calls with some of the major payers relates to what is an appropriate understanding of the pre and post service work that's included within a minor procedure, so a procedure that has a zero and 10 day global period. And sometimes uh, some of the larger payers seem to have an inappropriate understanding of exactly what is considered a separate and unrelated E&M service. And that's an educational piece that we're actively working on at the moment, but it, it really is an issue for dermatology in particular. Howard, what are some of the other reasons that claims get denied? 
So in my mind, claims are generally denied for one of four general reasons. The, the first is, is lack of benefit. And this is really common. If you look at EOBs, you're going to see this all the time in that the patient doesn't have a benefit for that service. And what that means is this sort of denial is generally due to a lapse in the patient's insurance or failure of the patient to complete a coordination of benefits, a non-covered service, or a lack of prior authorization. And I, I really see this category most when patients forget to give us their new insurance cards when they get new insurance. And it really becomes a problem if you don't stay on top of these things because there are time limits for appealing denials or giving new insurance. And you know, Medicare has a year, but a lot of private insurers have six months. And so if, if you lapse on this for six months, then you've given up that payment. The other is a coordination of benefits where a patient has a primary and secondary insurer, and each one thinks that the other one is primary. And so they say, no, I'm not going to pay because the other. And if they don't complete that COB, then you're not going to get paid for that service. I think a, another reason for denial is medical necessity. The most common scenario that we see that in is treatment of benign and premalignant lesions. This denial is typically seen with benign excisions, destructions, or shave removals. And because we treat a lot of warts, cysts, nevi, and all those ICD-10 codes are benign and generally don't meet insurer's definition of medical necessity or a covered diagnosis. And so in addition to indicating in the chart why you treated this benign lesion, you also have to indicate with a secondary ICD-10 code why that lesion was painful, inflamed, or interfering with normal function in order to get a clean payment on that code. Third reason that I see a lot of is incorrect coding on the part of the office. Again, I run a coding seminar in my office every about month for issues that are persistently a problem, but sometimes a modifier is missing or a diagnosis doesn't match a procedure, or there's an inappropriate number of units of service, and careful evaluation of the denial code from EOB or appropriate education of the people who are filling out the bills is critical to try to get that 100% accurate billing that you're, that's the holy grail of dermatology. Those are easy. If you, you know, you just fix the problem with the coding and resubmit and you should get paid for that. You also need to keep up with the minutia of documentation requirements for certain services, particularly Mohs surgery, flaps, CLCs. Insurers have denied a lot of claims based on not having a particular verbiage in there. So that's a problem. And I guess the most frustrating reason for denials is insurer plan or insurer error. And you guys were talking about that with Modifier 25. Insurers use computer programs to adjudicate claims, and the output is only as good as the programming, right? So garbage in, garbage out. If the program bundles a intermediate layered closure or a complex layered closure within an excision, then that code combination that code combination is appropriate and permissible. But if they bundle that together, then it's going to be repeatedly denied. And sometimes you can handle that, and sometimes you can ask the AAB for help in this sort of scenario where there is a problem on the insurer's side. We're seeing insurer errors more and more commonly with denials of ENM on the same service, modified 25, also denial of multiple procedures. And the other place that we see this is in an inappropriate reduction of payments. So sometimes putting uh, multiple surgery reductions on add-on codes or downcoding ENMs, as you mentioned. 
Yes, Howard, I would agree that those technical glitches do occur more frequently than one may expect. We've recently seen some issues where the first stage of Mohs surgery would be denied, but the second stage paid in full, which really was somewhat counterintuitive. And it ultimately turned out that it was a systems issue. And once the payer became aware of this, claims were put on hold and a fix is currently being put into place. And this is another reason why it is so important to let the Academy know when denials are happening because we can then identify if there's a irregular pattern and not just a one-off denial. And it makes it a little easier to discuss with the payer and obtain correction. So if you have a denial and you've gone through and you believe that the code was appropriately billed, uh, the claim was appropriately billed, what should you do? So the first thing you should probably look at is to see if your documentation was okay and if there was a provider error, fix that mistake and then resubmit the claim. If you think that it was a payer mistake, then you need to go ahead and start the appeal process. And Medicare, for example, has a very specific and unique appeals process. Some other insurance carriers may require customized appeal forms that need to be attached to the claims. As Howard was saying earlier, fortunately, most of them are online and have portals. However, at least in Arkansas, it's crazy that we still have some that transmit via fax or even snail mail. And of course, that works in the insurer's benefit because that slows down the timely processing of these appeals and how quickly you'll get paid. And also the chance that something gets lost. It's much nicer when they have portals or everything is filed electronically. But it's important that you follow the payer steps and you jump through their hoops in the proper way. And then if it's denied from a lack of medical necessity or clinical reason, you should recheck your documentation to make sure that it supports the reason why you build that. And so you can support your appeal. If it was denied on coding, verify that the CPT code was submitted using the correct codes and make sure that your, your modifiers were used appropriately. It seems that there's usually four main reasons for a denial. And so you should kind of look at those. One is if it's a contractual obligation and something you signed in your agreement, if you're like me, if you start to read these agreements, you start to fall asleep very quickly. So I will admit that they're difficult for me to read. There could be another adjustment and another reason why they have that or what they call an OA category or reason code. It could be a payer initiated reduction or it could be a patient responsibility reason for the denial. Howard, do you have any other practical tips for uh, starting the appeal process? You know, sometimes it is hard to figure out how to appeal. It used to be that on all EOBs, they had a address and contact information to appeal a denial as part of the denial code. Now, conveniently, they leave that out in a lot of situations. And so it becomes difficult. And so sometimes it's a little bit of a treasure hunt to figure out who you go through and they make it purposefully difficult to reach a person. If you've ever tried to reach United Healthcare. Literally, they have a phone tree that goes in a circle and never lets you get to a person, no matter what button you ever push. I've pushed zero seven times, and sometimes that works. <laughs> in terms of appeal process, what I tell people is you need to track the appeals and expect a denial of your appeal in the first round, because basically the first round appeal typically is a person who's paid to just uphold the original denial. And they'll say, nope, nope, the original denial is correct 
per our documentation or per your contractual standards. And then you need to go on to the higher level. And a lot of times, you know, and you want to be able to, you know, if you keep on getting denied, you want to go to a person and you want to kind of batch your appeals if you can. So that is always, you know, going to a medical director for an appeal with one claim isn't really so worth your time. Do it. But if you can batch appeals, that's going to be very important. I think I can speak for all of us when I state that we are frustrated with the status quo. It really is unacceptable. Sandy, can you share some of the activities that the AAD is engaged with to help improve the current state of affairs? So the ADA payer advocacy team works very closely with academy members, state and local derm societies, private payers to alleviate some of these burdens for us. They really try to ensure patients get access to covered quality care. If you do not already contribute to SkinPack, I really encourage you to check out their website and contribute to it. We consider it one of our insurance premiums and we contribute every year. It's probably the insurance premium that gives us our biggest return on investment. And if you want to see what the Academy is doing firsthand, attend this legislative conference. It's usually held every September and it's really educational, eye-opening, and quite empowering. It's important to note, however, that the AADA cannot appeal claims denials on behalf of individual people. The paper committee that Molly chairs and Howard has chaired in the past works with our largest national carriers, Anthem, Aetna, Cigna, and United Healthcare, and proactively interacts with them to help us be able to deliver the care to our patients and then get paid for the services that we provide. So it's important that we keep notifying the AAD and the ADA so that they can negotiate on our behalf. Collaboration is key. One plus one is not two, one plus one is three. And so when we all work together, we get a much more synergistic response and outcome. And as Howard said, you're probably not gonna call the medical director with one appeal. However, if you're able to batch them and show that this is not a one-off thing, but something that there's a pattern or something affecting lots of people, you're gonna have a much better response outcome and a better discussion. Howard, can you talk about some of the online resources that are available to our members? Sure. The AAD Practice Management Center has amazing coding resources to guide practices on appropriate documentation and coding, which again, forms the basis of reimbursement. I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, where do I start learning coding? And I said, go to AAD Practice Management because they do have a lot of great resources that kind of build you up from the ground up. You know, you're right out of residency. You guys did, you didn't do very much coding there. You need to learn it from the ground up, all those different definitions and the minutia associated with it to help you. Another very important resource is AAD Private Payer Appeal Letter Tool. So when you do get that denial. There are a lot of letters already made up, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a modifier 25 denial letters. There's repair of uh, post-MOS or post-excisional defects. There's uh, MOS with diagnostic frozen section letters. These will all help you manage your appeal process in a much more efficient fashion. And dermatologists may report payer issues to the online forum at www.ard.aad.org member advocacy priorities, private payer or private payer at aad.org. I think this is really important. If you have a denial that was kind of your fault because you made a mistake in the coding, then um, don't write to private payer at aad.org. But if there is a denial that doesn't make any sense, let them know. A lot of times denials are like a canary in the coal mine. And so aad doesn't know to help unless 
numerous members send in the same complaint and then we know it's a pattern and then we can contact that insurance and say, hey, you know, we're hearing from a lot of members. If we just hear from one member, one off, it's not going to have the same power. So at this point, we are bumping up into the end of our session and the time has just flown by. I would like to thank you both so much. These conversations are always incredibly enlightening to me and it has been such a pleasure speaking with both of you. If you have any closing comments, this would be the time. I know this is frustrating and it's a difficult thing, but at the end of the day, it's still great to be a dermatologist and keep living this fantastic life you were meant to live. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I really loved and enjoyed doing this session. And what I tell people is just be vigilant. Make looking at your reimbursement part of your routine, like brushing your teeth, and it just becomes part of daily life. And then you get used to it. It's not like a foreign language anymore. You can see it. You can interpret EOBs really fast and make sure your practice is humming along economically. Howard, I think you just made the mic drop comment. Well done. Thank you. Thank you both for all that you do for our specialty. Thank you, Molly. Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in to another edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. For more dialogues, subscribe to us through the website of the American Academy of Dermatology, then link your subscription through your favorite podcast app. Remember, the subscription is free for residents. New podcasts are released each week in addition to free special bonus episodes. You can also listen to dialogues online through the AAD website. Thanks again for listening.